Throw me the ball and watch what I do with it. You are now tuned into the Cherry Picking Podcast with your host, Andre Cherry. Hey everyone, thank you for downloading another episode of the Cherry Picking Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Cherry. And on this very special episode, we are going to dive into the latest developments around the Pac-12 and a group of players from the Pac-12 deciding to potentially opt out of this upcoming fall season. We'll have other topics to to get into, but I really wanted to take this opportunity right off the bat to talk through and to discuss with you the opt-out of these players from the Pac-12 and their decision to potentially sit out this season unless a number of demands are met. And so we'll dive right in here. So on Sunday, a group of of hundreds of Pac-12 football players announced that they will opt out of any upcoming camps and games unless the conference negotiates with them and reaches a legal agreement regarding health and safety practices. They These players also want to have the conference address issues of racial injustice and economic inequality. Uh, The pandemic is not really showing any signs of slowing down. We've seen spikes in certain parts of the country. Uh, Most recently, we've seen that in California. We've seen it in Arizona, Florida, Texas. Um, So this pandemic seems to be uh, ramping up for a, a second wave. At least that's what's been told to us in Philly that we are now in the second wave of this pandemic. Whether you believe it's just one constant wave or multiple waves, the the fact of the matter is this pandemic is not slowing down. It's not weakening. And so many sports leagues are preparing for fall action. The NBA has already resumed play. MLB is, is showing signs of this virus affecting play within multiple teams. Uh, most recently, uh, the Cardinals had their action postponed this past weekend against the Brewers because many of the players were showing signs of coronavirus. So it really seems as if coronavirus is throwing a wrench in some of these plans. The NBA seems to have been unaffected by that right now. I I know there's some stories coming out of players sneaking off, but in terms of action, we, we haven't seen their action or their play get slowed down in any way because they already adopted a bubble format. So they have all the players down in Orlando. They're in a bubble, so to speak. Uh, The same could be said for the MLS. But anyways, so back back to this story. So these demands came out Sunday. And so... It it comes at a a really important time in our history, in our country's history, as we have this virus that seems to be raging out of control. We have social injustices and racial inequality really coming to the forefront and people really taking a stance uh, against that and being more vocal with that. And so these players are really using this opportunity, this moment in history to make a statement. And we'll see if they can how far they can go with this movement. Um, I, I haven't seen anything like this before in college football where we, you have a group of players of this size coming together to vocalize their concerns and to put out a, a list of demands. And so we'll see if this really gains momentum. We'll see if it has actual traction and leads to real change. 
but I think this is something that has been long overdue. It's something that players have spoken about. Um, player, I'm, and I'm thinking back to like Corin Robinson, you know, the wide receiver from NC State in the early 2000s. He came out saying that players need to get put paid just a few years ago. Kane Coulter from Northwestern really vocalizing and trying to unionize college football efforts at Northwestern. But something of this magnitude, something of this size, I haven't seen before in college football. And so I'm really interested to see if the players are able to get real change from the conference and from the NCAA. But they made their statement known yesterday, and we'll go through that, and we'll talk through what they're looking to get from the Pac-12. And I definitely want to get your opinion on it. Definitely want to hear if you have any thoughts about this. Because it's it's a pretty big moment right now. And this could send shockwaves through college football this season. So, we'll, we'll go ahead and dive right into it. And the list of demands which were, le- were released to the media this past weekend are as follows. Pac-12 football unity demands to protect and benefit both scholarship and walk-on players. So, the first thing they have here is health and safety protections. COVID-19 protections allow option not to play in the pandemic without losing our athletics eligibility or spot on our team roster Two, prohibit void COVID-19 agreements that waive liability. Then we have mandatory safety standards, including COVID-19 measures. One player approved health and safety standards enforced by a third party selected by players to address COVID-19 and serious injury, abuse, and death. Then we have two protect all sports. Preserve all existing sports by eliminating excessive expenditures. They have Larry Scott, administrators and coaches to voluntarily and drastically reduce excessive pay. Good luck on that. Two, end performance academic bonuses. Three, end lavish facility expenditures and use some endowment funds to preserve all sports. And that's in asterisks. And then the asterisk down below says, as an example, Stanford University should reinstate all sports discontinued by tapping into their $27.7 billion endowment. And then we have three end racial injustices in college sports and society, which seems like a pretty big, uh, big task there to try to undertake. But one form a permanent civic engagement, joint task force of our leaders and experts of our choice and university and conference administrators to address outstanding issues such as racial injustice in college sports and in society. Two, 2% of conference revenue directed by players in partnership with conference to support financial aid for low-income black students, community initiatives, and development programs for college athletes on each campus. Three, form annual Pac-12 Black College Athlete Summit with guaranteed representation of at least three athletes of our choice from every school. And then we have four, economic freedom and equality guaranteed medical expense coverage, medical insurance selected by players in sports-related medical conditions, including COVID-19 illness, for six years after college athletics eligibility ends, name, image, and likeness rights and representation, the freedom to secure representation, receive basic necessities from any third party, and earn money for the use of our name, image, and likeness rights. Then we have fair market pay, rights, and freedoms, One, 50% of each sport's total conference revenue distributed evenly among athletes in their respective sport. 
six-year athletic scholarships to foster undergraduate and graduate degree completion, elimination of all policies and practices restricting or deterring our freedom of speech, our ability to fully participate in charitable work, and our freedom to participate in campus activities outside of mandatory athletics participation, ability of players of all sports to transfer one time without punishment and additionally in cases of abuse or serious negligence, ability to complete eligibility after participating in a pro draft if player goes undrafted and forgoes professional participation within seven days of draft, and then number six, due process rights. So their demands that were, were released this past weekend, uh, yesterday on the 2nd of August. It's a two-page document. I'll post it on Twitter if you want to see it and read it, in, it for yourself. But these players are making a statement. This is a big moment in college football. I'm not sure how far it will go. You definitely have to applaud these student-athletes for coming together as a group of athletes and putting putting their demands together. I think some of these definitely have some weight and have some merit right now. Just looking at the COVID-19 protections, I mean, I think what they're asking there is, is definitely reasonable. And if they're being forced to go play football right now, they need to have some protections in place to protect them, to protect their family members, to protect the general public that may come, come across these students. Because... There is no bubble right now for the NCAA. There, there's no bubble. There's nothing that I've seen come out from programs or the NCAA as a whole that would have me believe that they are going to take a bubble-like approach similar to what we've seen in the NBA for college athletics. And I think that a bubble would be necessary in order to play football this fall. At a minimum, there needs to be some sort of bubble I said it on a few podcasts ago that if they want to have college football, and, and I know college football is big business, it's big revenue for programs, they need to find a way to let these players live on campus, but then also remove the other students and other people that come into contact with these players that aren't critical to the program. They need to find a way to separate them and to insulate them from one another because if this virus is spreading amongst the team, there is a risk of spreading it to the general population and then from there, you know, into these cities and into these towns and you're really creating a hot spot like environment on each of these campuses or you have the potential to do so. And so I think in my mind, that would be the only way you could have college football this fall is if if these athletes are all on board with it, if all these programs and these universities are on board with it, setting up bubble like environments on campus the players and the coaches interact with one another. People that are critical to the team, such as uh, food staffs and such as athletic departments, certainly would be included in that bubble. But anything that doesn't limit these players or insulate them in any way from the general public or their families, I don't see it working out. And to that point, if you're going to do all that and the players are going to have to be a part of that plan, they need to have some sort of third-party acting on their their behalf, on their self-interest to ensure that they're safe and that they are being taken care of and that they're being watched out for and that their medical needs are you know being taken seriously. It's one thing to have these players sign liability waivers, which I, I don't even know how you can enforce something like that. To have these players come back to campus and then, oh, and one other thing, you need to sign this waiver, which absolves the universities 
and the conferences of any liability involving COVID, which just seems crazy in and of itself. You have these players come back to campus to be a part of voluntary workouts. And then, oh, one other thing, you have to sign this waiver absolving the university, the program of of any wrongdoing. It seems wrong. It seems like the players are being taken advantage of and they don't have anybody looking out for their best interests. They, they can't unionize. They don't have unions. They don't have any third party watching out for these players. And so hats off to these, these group of Pac-12 players who came out this weekend and, and made a list of demands. And I think the most important thing there are the the demands revolving around COVID-19 because this is a scary pandemic. People are dying. I think 145,000 people have died. Millions of people have been infected by this virus. It just seems wrong to ask these players to come back on campus and play football right now when this isn't under control at all. And just speaking for myself personally, I don't. College football, sports aren't doing anything for me right now during this pandemic, during this recession, during this uh, time of social unrest. It, it sports are not doing a thing for me. And I think it's wrong to have these players, these young kids, come play football right now for what reason? What is the reason we're going to have college football right now? Like, what is a good reason for it? There is no good reason for it if their safety is not of utmost concern for these programs. What is the strategy to prevent this spread from spreading to other players, what's the strategy from uh, having this virus spread to their team, mem- to their family members, student bodies? Like it, it just doesn't seem smart. It doesn't seem wise to have football right now. And so, if if anything, maybe push it out to the spring, which is what may happen anyways. Like we we're doing all this work to have non-conference schedules removed and just have conference play. But we're doing all this for what reason? There's there's still no guarantee that we're going to have a fall season. So I hats off to the players for taking this opportunity and taking this moment to make it into a movement. And we'll see if it gets real traction. I don't know how far it will go, if, if, if it will go anywhere at all. But hats off for making a stand. And this is coming straight from SI. And I quote, and all of this is happening against the backdrop of a civil rights movement that's perhaps drawing more attention than ever to the plight of black Americans. The NCAA announced in July it would allow athletes to wear social justice slogans on the backs of their jersey in 2020-2021. Meanwhile, the majority black labor force of the highest revenue generating sports, football and men's basketball, are losing the opportunity to create generational wealth because all the money is hoarded by a select few. Talking about Black Lives Matter as a social issue, the wealth gap is such a huge part of it. Guys who come from low-income backgrounds, when they leave to go, uh, when they leave to go school, they can come back to having nothing. One small group of people are pulling in all the money when it could go to so many community. And that came from Cal offensive lineman Valentino Daltoso, and that he said that directly to Sports Illustrated. But he's right. The money that's generated from football and basketball and and March Madness, I mean, it's billions of dollars. Billions with a B. And that money isn't going back to the communities. It's certainly not going to the players. You see some of the highest paid coaches making astronomical figures. Some of the, the bonuses that are in place for these college football 
coaches seem absurd, but that that's the system that we live in. That's the system that they're a part of in the NCAA. All this money that's generated goes to the coaches, goes to the conferences. It's split in the NCAA, but nothing goes back to the college football players. You know, they're they have a scholarship, so they they have their whole education paid for. But oftentimes, if they slip up in any way in terms of improprieties received outside of what they're allowed to have, they get into serious trouble. They're suspended. Uh, they they'll lose games. They'll lose eligibility. So it's a it's a crazy system that they're a part of, and that we all watch and enjoy every weekend. But again, these these Pac-12 players are trying to take this moment and turn it into a movement, and we'll see how much momentum they can get. You know, I really am happy to see it because I think there are some some things that need to be done for these players. Just from a basic health uh, standpoint, they need to have their interests watch out for. And nobody's watching out for them. The NCAA has been mum this entire time about what the strategy will be to ensure these players will stay safe during a pandemic. The NCAA is not there. And so you're seeing all these conferences come together and figure out a strategy for how they can ensure college football will be played this season, this fall. And so, you know, they're taking it upon themselves, but the NCAA as an organization is nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be heard. And this is also taken from the Sports Illustrated online. And I quote, the NCAA is no stranger to racism, structural or otherwise. The revenue sports are built on profiting off of largely non-white labor for largely white people in power. Just this summer, multiple former Iowa athletes accused the strength and conditioning coach of making racist comments across several years, while a group of Texas athletes held out of recruiting activities until the university changed the names of buildings on campus associated with racists. And now the same black athletes who helped create billions of dollars in revenue are being asked to play football as a virus seemingly targets them. And end quote. And it's very true. I mean, this virus, we don't truly know the long-term risks if you if you contract this coronavirus, if you get it. We've seen the, the symptoms range in people in, in terms of the severity of the virus, but we don't know, we don't truly know everything about this virus and what it, it can do to a person's life. And so it's it's scary thought to have to go play football right now where you're in an environment of close contact, of repeated contact, repeated exposure, long exposure, uh, playing football. I mean, you're, you're, it's a contact sport. So it seems as if it would be a perfect incubator for this virus to spread or a, a petri dish almost where you have college football teams playing against one another for four for four quarters long exposure the risk of contracting this virus would seem to be high so it's a huge risk for these young men to take this uh to to come out and play football right now and so i'm really curious to know if we, we will even have college football this fall so this decision by these by these athletes, I'm sure, wasn't uh, an easy thing to do because we haven't seen this type of response before. But we will see what the response will be from the Pac-12 conference and the NCAA. And I, I wonder if what these athletes are doing out in the Pac-12 will um, lead to lead to the same type of response or action from other players in other conferences. So you got to give them hats off for coming together as a group of men to put this plan together. 
and to stand behind it, and we'll see how far it can go, and we'll see what the fall will look like this season if we have college football with a, a group of Pac-12 players sitting out. And I don't know if it's been released, the the entire group of players who are behind this uh, list of demands, but you know you have to wonder you know are they impact players are they big names um you know it's it, that's yet to be seen but i'm sure we will find out more information in the coming days and coming weeks and we'll see what type of action is uh sparked from all of this if any so right now i'm going to take a quick time out a quick break but on the other side of this break we'll get into some more college football news so don't go anywhere i'll be right back Hey guys, Mike here, a friend from the podcast of Chibli's Playground. It's a podcast about board games, pasta, and a whole lot of fun. You can find out about sweet new games that are coming out, sweet old games that have been out for a while, and the best favorites. Who knows? Someone might even get a golden hoodie. Matt, tell them where you can find them. Uh, you can find us at uh, Chibli's Podcast at Twitter and Instagram. And also you can find us on uh, Chibli'sPlayground.com. Wow, you guys nailed it. Good job, good job. Nailed it. I got an IMDb page, so. Stay up to date with the latest in Major League Baseball with the End of the Shift Baseball Podcast. Are you tired of the same old way baseball writers complain about the new changes in the game? Well, this is not the show for you. The End of the Shift Podcast with a modern take on what makes baseball great. And the ball will be hit into the shift. They get an out. It's only because of that shift. And they do. And that's why you follow the numbers. Join co-hosts Max Gross and Kyle McRaby for weekly updates every Sunday night. Or find us on Twitter at Into the Shift Pod. It's the Into the Shift Baseball Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And so I want to get into a little bit of news that developed out of the SEC last week. Uh, the ACC earlier last week had announced its its format and its plans for the fall football season. And so they were going to adopt a, a mainly a, a conference-only approach with a one game allowed for non-conference action. But that game had, has to be played in the state of the ACC team. And so that came out at the beginning of last week. And so... We're still waiting to hear from the Big 12, but the SEC last Thursday announced its strategy and its plan for moving forward with college football in the fall. So the SEC presidents and chancellors on Thursday approved a 10-game conference-only football schedule for the fall that begins on September 26th. And this revised schedule is altered because of the impact of the pandemic but it increases by two the SEC's usual conference slate of eight league games, which includes six divisional foes, one permanent cross-divisional foe, and one rotating cross-divisional foe. And that came from ESPN. So the conference confirmed that the SEC will keep its division format and that the eight teams that are currently scheduled and uh, that the league is still determining the two additional teams, but sources told ESPN that one proposal heavily discussed is to add each school's cross-divisional rotating opponents for the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Another proposal being considered, sources said, would be for the league to devise a ranking system based on a strength of schedule and add the two additional league games based on that system. Any plan must be approved by athletic directors. We're still waiting on the full schedule to be released, but that'll be announced at a later date. Um, And the SEC title game is scheduled for December 19th, which is two weeks later than planned, 
at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia. The schedule includes one open date for each school in the middle of the season, as well as an open date for December 12th for all teams. So the SEC made these changes to allow for maximum flexibility in making any necessary scheduling adjustments or while reacting to the developments around the pandemic and continued advice from medical experts. So this is a pretty pretty cool plan from the SEC. You get more SEC games on this schedule. You're not getting any fluff with the college football season with this type of schedule. You're getting action straight from week one. And it's pretty cool. That is very cool to have that type of schedule and format. It's going to be super, super competitive out of the SEC. It always is. But with a schedule like that, there's no room for any sort of any sort of mistakes. You know, you really got to run through your schedule and see who can come out alive. And it's really cool. If you're a college football fan, you should actually enjoy this. You should enjoy these conference-only schedules out of the, the Big 12, out of the ACC, out of the SEC, out of the Pac-12. We're waiting on word from the Big 12 to see what they're going to do. But again, the SEC announced this decision on Thursday. It's pretty serious because it's uh, no fluff in that schedule. And they're doing it because of the pandemic, um, of course. But it, that is kind of cool to see that there's no fluff and that there's no BS with the schedule. Uh, so we're, we're still waiting to hear what the Big 12 will do. But in looking at that format for conference only, the only thing that is a bummer out of that, if anything, I would say, is the fact that some of the longstanding conference, non-conference rivalry games with the SEC and the big, with the SEC and the ACC are no longer in factor or in play this year. And so some of the notable ACC-SEC rivalries that we'll miss in 2020 include Clemson versus South Carolina which was on a 111-year streak. Georgia versus Georgia Tech had a 95-year streak. Florida versus Florida State had a 62-year streak. And Kentucky versus Louisville was on a 26-year streak. But over 111 years for Clemson and South Carolina, that streak ends in 2020. That's insane, man. That is absolutely insane. It, It is sad. But again, you're getting some serious college football in week one of the season, which will begin on uh, September 26th for the SEC. So we'll see what the Big 12 will do. We'll see if the NCAA will get involved at any point and make their decision for if the season can actually be played for these conferences. I think we're expecting some decisions to be made from the Division II and Division Three schools in regards to if they're even going to have a fall season. I think that's going to come out this week as well. So there's still some movement and there's still some news that will break out this week and the the days to follow um, in regards to what we're going to do about college football. I'm a little surprised that we haven't seen anything come out from the NCAA that's like a uniform statement across the board that, you know what, it's August 3rd. College football is supposed to start in, in about a month. Um, it's not looking like we're going to be able to do that right now. And I wonder if that will happen. I I don't know. They haven't said it yet. So I, I don't know what will make them come out of their shell to say one way or the other if there should be college football. But I wonder if we'll get into a situation where certain leagues cancel, but other leagues remain open for action. So what I mean by that, say the big Big Ten decides to shut down for college football for this fall season 
Maybe they push it to the spring season. What does that mean for the ACC? Are, are they supposed to shut it down as well? Or are they going to keep action this fall while other conferences shut down? Like, I would think that there should be some uniformity across the board. But, again, we haven't gotten that yet from the NCAA, and I don't know that we will. But, you know, we still have got plenty of time before the season will be actually begin. I mean, because if you're looking at the SEC, they don't start till towards the end of September. The ACC, I believe, is starting September 12th. So you still got a few weeks to go, but you're running out of runway here. You're running out of time. And so I would expect and hope to hear something soon. But take it day by day, which is what we've been doing. Every day there seems to be new developments and new stories that break out. And so it really is uh, an interesting time to be a college football fan. And so I'm, I'm here with you every step of the way. And so... I just wanted to share my thoughts on the latest developments out of the Pac-12 and then the SEC uh, coming out with their uh, devised plan and strategy for this fall season. So we'll see what the Big 12 will do. And then again, we'll see if the NCAA comes out and has a blanket statement across the board or a blanket decision. So we shall see. But that'll do it for this podcast episode today. Thank you again for downloading the show. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to interact with me. You can find me at Cherry underscore Pickin, and you can find all my content at CherryPickinSports.com. But until then, until I speak to you again, hope you guys have a great uh, day. Hope you have a great week, and hope you stay safe. And I look forward to talking with you again soon. Take care. Thank you again for tuning into my Cherry Pickin Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe to my show and drop me a rating on Apple Podcasts. All of my digital content can be found at the website, cherrypickinsports.com. And if you are looking to interact with me via social media, my Twitter handle is at cherry underscore pickin. That's P-I-C-K-I-N. On my Twitter, you'll also find a link to my blog where I post my weekly college football predictions and analysis. I can also be reached via email at cherrypickinsports at gmail.com. Please feel free to reach out to me regarding what you like about this podcast or about what content you'd like to hear more of on future episodes. I sincerely thank you for your support, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Take care.